Dalton Pace was a large man who ran a junkyard out of his home in Decatur, Alabama. He was known to carry large amounts of cash. On August 19, 1993, after a brutal fight, someone shot Dalton Pace and stole that cash. Meanwhile, 35 miles away, Gary Drinkard's daughter and neighbors were delivering a litter of puppies. While Gary was there laid up on the couch with a back injury on heavy pain meds, definitely in no shape to fight anyone, let alone a man the size of Dalton Pace. When Gary's half-sister Beverly Robinson and her boyfriend Rex Seeger were dealing with their own significant legal troubles, they tried to trade alleged information about Dalton Pace's murder for leniency, claiming that Gary was the killer. To corroborate those false claims, Beverly wore a wire between her legs while trying to coax the right words out of Gary. But whenever Gary denied involvement, Beverly would rub her thighs together, making his denials inaudible. Then, the lead detective took it upon himself to testify at trial about Gary's alleged taped confession. It took a literal dream team of lawyers to undo those lies, including the great Brian Stevenson and our returning guest, the eminent attorney Richard Jaffe. However, nothing will ever make up for all that lost time Gary spent on death row. This is Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. That's me. I'm your host. And today I'm actually almost a little nervous because I have not one but two people who I just look up to so much. One you'll recognize, Richard Jaffe, is one of the most prolific and successful death penalty lawyers in the country. Richard, welcome back to Wrongful Conviction. Thank you so much, Jason. Great to be here. And with him is someone who he speaks of in reverent tones, and he's not the only one. His story will anger you, but his spirit will inspire you. Gary Drinkard, welcome to Wrongful Conviction. Well, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Let's start at the beginning. First of all, Gary, did you grow up in Alabama? I did. I've been all up in the north and out west and everything. I always came back to Alabama. For the most part, you know, until this insane fate befell you, things were pretty good. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. Everything was going great. I had just bought 14 acres of land and enrolled into college. We were fixing to build a dream home and then, bam, everything goes crazy. Yeah, and everything really did go crazy. And just to set the stage, we're talking about the afternoon of August 19th, 1993 when the body of Dalton Pace was found in his Decatur, Alabama home. He had been shot twice in the back and once in the head. Now, Mr. Pace ran a junkyard out of his home and was known for carrying large rolls of cash. He was a guy who didn't trust banks, so he was a logical target for somebody. And all of the cash, except for the contents of his wallet, had been stolen. So, Richard, take us back to this crime, because what's going to become clear as we go along is that it was actually totally impossible for Gary to have committed this crime. But somehow or other, long before you even heard about the case, he was convicted anyway and sentenced to death. This is really an extraordinary case because Gary was 35 miles away. And when the authorities got there, they found a bottle of whiskey and a glass, and they didn't even fingerprint these two items. After a couple of weeks, the investigation went nowhere, and suddenly Beverly Robinson, who happened to be Gary's half-sister, went to the police, and she said, I can help you find who killed Dalton Pace. She said, it's my half-brother, Gary Drinkard. And they said, well, you got any corroboration to that? And they said, yeah, my boyfriend, Rex Seegers, who I live with, and that's it. At which point they said, you're going to have to give us more than that. So they wired her up, sent her over to Gary's home around 6.30 or so in the morning, sat there drinking coffee with Gary, wired up with uh, Detective Gary Walker in a van like you see on TV down the street listening in real time. Uh, Beverly Robinson had brought a newspaper of the account and then started reading from the newspaper and asking Gary questions about the crime, as if Gary might have known something. And every time Gary answered the question, the tape was not legible because, and we found this out later, Beverly's wire was between her legs and she would rub her legs together every time she would try to get Gary to incriminate himself. And he never did. She was almost sort of editing the tape for the cops. Gary, when did you first find out that you were considered a suspect? Oh, I had no clue until the police came one morning and busted my door open. They had a search warrant for marijuana. 
it was a quarter ounce, and they were looking for everything except marijuana. They threw my wife and myself on the ground, handcuffed us. They drug my kids out of the bedrooms. One of them stuck a gun to my son's face, leaving a bruise. They made my 16-year-old daughter and her friend come out of the back bedroom, wouldn't let them get dressed. They were in their bra and panties in front of all those police. And I was just outraged. I didn't find out until two weeks after I had been arrested for the marijuana that I was implicated in a murder. The idea that they were willing to bust up your house and manhandle your family in a way that they did for a quarter ounce of pot. Of course, we know that that wasn't really what they were after, but that's the idea that it could be used as a pretext to go in and, and bust up a, a house and a family like that. That can't go on anymore. Amazingly enough, it was dry in that area of marijuana at the time. Beverly's the one that sold it to me. They knew exactly where to go find it. And I'm really believing that they gave it to her to sell to me. Wow. Well, I think it's important to realize that Beverly and Rex had also been busted. And both of them were facing serious criminal charges. And Rex was on parole from Oklahoma. And he was facing 40 years if he screwed up his parole. But as a career criminal, he was looking at a life sentence in Alabama. So both of them were hugely motivated to try to give them Gary, a likely suspect in their mind, if they could get Gary to confess to something he wouldn't confess to and didn't do. Now, Dalton Pace was not a small guy, right? This was a big, strong man who put up a tremendous struggle. And that plays into the story as well. Gary, forget the fact that you had an airtight alibi because you were 35 miles away and there was a particular reason why your alibi was so tight. Just explain to the audience what was going on that very day when Mr. Pace was murdered. I had bought 14 acres of land and the neighbor had gave my daughter a Pekingese dog that was pregnant. She wanted to pick up the litter of the puppies. And she told us when she started having the puppies to call her and she would come out there and help us birth them. So the night of the murder, which I knew nothing about, we called the lady. And she came over to the house with her boyfriend. And she was back with my daughter and helping her birth the puppies as her boyfriend and I were sitting in the living room watching the news. And you were also in no physical shape to murder anybody at the time, right? And I was on strong muscle relaxers and I was laid up on the couch from a back injury. Is it fair to say that you couldn't have even driven the 35 miles, much less got out of the car and gone and struggled with a big, strong man? I could have actually driven there, but I couldn't have struggled with him and overcame anything. So, Richard, how the hell did they build a case with no evidence, and how were they able to convince a jury that he did it when it should have been obvious to anyone that these snitches were incentivized and in all likelihood, were the actual perpetrators? Well, it's a great question because Gary was appointed for that first trial three local lawyers, but none of them were experienced criminal lawyers, and especially not in the death penalty arena. They didn't call the doctor that treated Gary that would have explained the extent of his condition. The fingernail scrapings that were on the deceased Dalton Pace they didn't even challenge that they weren't tested, nor that fingerprints that were taken from the whiskey wasn't compared to Rex or to Beverly. 
They didn't do any of that. What they did was they called Beverly as the chief witness, and they called the detective that had engineered the wired conversation with Gary and Beverly. And here's the kicker. That particular detective told the jury that while he couldn't hear all of what was on the tape, he was able to hear that Gary said to Beverly, the old man grabbed me and, you know, I had no choice but to shoot it, which was never on there. But the lawyers, unfortunately, let that slide and the jury believed the detective that Gary had confessed when he didn't. You know, juries can be uh, misled uh, fairly easily when people in positions of power abuse that power. And that's exactly what happened here. Now, the jury didn't deliberate very long. Uh, Yeah, approximately an hour. The judge had told one of his secretaries, and it got back to my mother, that if I put on some type of mitigating evidence, that he would give me life without parole. Well, I wasn't about to get my mother up there begging and crying for my life when I hadn't done anything. And I didn't put on any mitigating evidence, and I was found guilty and sentenced to death. And that was that was devastating because I figured, well, I'm going down there with the worst of the worst. I've got to be watching my back all the time. I think it's a, a lot of people's worst nightmare, and you were living it. Can you just give us a sense of death row in Alabama? You know, Take us inside that cell if you can. Well, it was a little five-by-eight concrete cell. I mean, most people's bathrooms are are larger than that. It it was nasty. They would give you cleaning supplies, but you couldn't keep it clean. There was cockroaches three inches long, rats running around, insane people hollering. We had a man. I was on the second tier. There was a man on the first tier. He would holler 24 hours a day that there were people committing suicide trying to beat the executioner. There were people committing suicide because they were in so much pain and and the doctors wouldn't help them. Your friends get sent to be executed. If the wind's blowing right, you can smell burning flesh. It, It was unreal. This episode is underwritten by the AIG Pro Bono Program. AIG is a leading global insurance company. And for over a decade, the AIG Pro Bono Program has provided thousands of hours of free legal services and other support to nonprofit organizations and individuals most in need. More recently, the program added criminal and social justice reform as a key pillar of its mission. The Pacers Foundation is a proud supporter of this episode of Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom and of the Last Mile Organization, which provides business and tech training to help incarcerated individuals successfully and permanently re-enter the workforce. The Pacers Foundation is committed to improving the lives of Hoosiers across Indiana, supporting organizations that are dedicated primarily to helping young people and students. For more information on the work of the Pacers Foundation or the Last Mile Program, please visit PacersFoundation.org or TheLastMile.org. I 
I was rereading your chapter in Richard's wonderful book, Quest for Justice, Defending the Damned. Uh, it's the second edition. The stories are really brilliantly told. You really get a chance to be inside the mind of one of the great courtroom lawyers of our time in life or death situations. So I think you'll enjoy reading it. But as I was rereading that chapter today, I was thinking about you somehow or other went from I don't know what you want to call it, the outhouse to the penthouse in terms of your legal representation, because you ended up having the great Brian Stevenson get you a retrial. The first attorneys, you know, at the trial didn't do a good job, and I was fearful that the appeals attorney wouldn't do a good job. So I wrote Mr. Stevenson begging for an attorney to handle my appeals. When I did hear back from him, he appointed Mr. Randy Suskin to handle my appeals. I was thrilled. Gary got a new trial because of prosecutorial misconduct, improper evidence offered against him in his first trial. And now that Brian Stevenson and Randy Suskind have done their part, you got involved. You weren't even really a Decatur lawyer, so you had to basically pull some strings and maneuver yourself into this case. If I was going to get on, I knew that I would have to get appointed the problem with getting appointed was that the judge doesn't know me. I've not practiced there. But John Mays, my good friend, did and does practice there. So John was ultimately able to talk the judge into appointing us both with some conditions. And then Steve Wright from the Southern Center for Human Rights called me at home and he offered the services of Chris Adams and the mitigation team of Southern Center. It was a deal I would never refuse. And boom, we had our team in place. I think for many people listening, they're probably going, well, okay, now you got this dream team. You have all this evidence. The state has no evidence. This should have been a slam dunk. The first thing that happened in this case right before trial that basically just blew our world was this. We were counting on the perfect alibi that Gary had, which was multiple people besides, of course, the doctor in his back. And one of those alibi witnesses testified in the first trial, and her name was Kelly Hargrove. That was Gary's stepdaughter. Well, Kelly was going to be one of three or four alibi witnesses we were going to call, and right before trial, we couldn't reach her. And she had moved to Panama City, and she would not respond to our, couldn't even subpoena her. And we figured out what happened. They had cut a deal with her meaning that she had got in trouble in Panama City. She was facing some potential theft charges, and she cut a deal, even though the state never admitted it. And suddenly she became the chief witness for the state. She basically said, I perjured myself in the first trial, and Gary confessed to me, and that was her testimony in the second trial. So they were far from done with their dirty tricks. And in fact, they really pulled the rug out from under you in a, in a pretty serious way here. So you had to pivot, but that, that wasn't the only card you had to play. Oh, no, no, no. So where I candidly made a tremendous tactical mistake, and, and I write about it in the book with clarity and, and candor, because lawyers need to be conscious of every word they speak. And I ask a question that I never should have asked, and it was, what were the scratches that she claimed that she saw 12 days later when she said Gary confessed? Where were they on Gary? And it was a huge mistake 
because I didn't take into consideration the obvious is that they would have prepped her and showed her the pictures of the scratches that Gary had that he received when he was arrested and basically jerked onto the concrete from his automobile. They jerked him out of that, causing scratches. And she described those scratches as being very red and very fresh and long scratches. And it was what the picture showed. And it was an awful moment for me. Fortunately, we got a lunch break and everybody else was eating lunch. I was like underwater. And then I figured it out, like a bell went on right before we went back, is that there's no way that those were the scratches that she saw. Because if she'd seen those scratches 12 days later when she said Gary confessed, they wouldn't have been fresh. They would have been scabbed and they would have been in the healing process. There's no way that those scratches would have occurred at the crime scene from Dalton Pace. There's no way. And once I overcame that hurdle, then showing that she was beyond belief was very easy to do, especially since we had affidavits from all the people she stole from in Panama City that she denied. So the stepdaughter's claims about an alleged confession were proven to be totally incredible. That lie brought to you, of course, by prosecutorial misconduct, but this wasn't the only person that they'd coerced. An alibi witness that was a friend of Gary's daughter, we flew her up from Oregon on our own dime, and when the investigators and the prosecution found out They intimidated her at the motel where she was staying and basically spooked her, and she refused to testify. They threatened her with perjury, and that would have been a nice thing to have her because she was another strong alibi witness that they used their power to keep her from testifying. Now comes another state's witness. Beverly gets back on the stand to repeat the lies she told in the first trial and really the lies that started the whole thing. And of course... She denied having an incentive to lie, and Richard proved that her denials were lies, destroying her credibility. So now Beverly, who bears a great deal of responsibility for Gary's wrongful conviction, was all deflated. And when she got off the stand, she does something absolutely nuts. Gary, go ahead. You speak to that. Right as she was getting off the stand, she looks over at me and says, Gary, I've always loved you. And the judge said, get her out of here, get her out of here. I mean, everybody in there could tell she was lying. Everybody could tell she was high. Yeah, she was hopped up. <laughs> like, that's like that's like a movie. It's like it's like some My Cousin Vinny shit or something. It's crazy. I mean, <laughs> really. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. What were the other key things that you think really turned the jury around? Well, let me start by saying this, that in the first trial, the detective, Detective Gary Walker, had said that while listening to the tape-recorded conversation between Gary and Beverly, his half-sister, that Gary confessed. And I already mentioned that. But the tape got enhanced because we insisted the FBI enhanced it. They brought the FBI agent to testify in state court, and the FBI agent had to be honest. And as many times as we played the enhanced tape, he never heard Gary confess because it wasn't on there. And then Detective Walker testified. In spite of it not being on there, he insisted even on my cross with him, he insisted that Gary basically confessed. And we played that tape at least a half a dozen times. And it was very clear that Gary never confessed. It was never on the tape. And he could not have heard what he told the jury in the first trial and the second trial that he heard. And when that occurred, I think the trial was pretty much over in our favor. I knew we'd put on a good case, and I knew I had a good chance of being found not guilty. But you never, never allow your hopes to get up or you'll get crushed, and it'll devastate you all over again. But when they sent the jury out to deliberate, Richard and the other attorneys went after some coffee. Well, the lights in the courthouse went out. Somebody outside had hit a telephone pole. And a police officer that was sitting with me put a gun in my back. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, this idiot's going to shoot me before I even get a chance to hear the juror. Jesus Christ. Again, if you put that in a movie, somebody would go, no, nobody's going to believe that. Sorry, you got to take that out. Gary, we talked about the worst moment of your life um, when you were found guilty. So this is the opposite. Paint the picture for us as best you can. Can you take us inside that moment in the courtroom Well, when they told me to stand up and they pronounced a not guilty verdict, everybody in the courtroom, I believe, had tears. I think the old judge even shed a couple of tears. 
that was probably the happiest moment of my life. We interviewed the jurors afterwards, and they all said, basically, look, we know he never could have done it. He never should have been charged. And we reached our verdict in, in less than five minutes. There, there's no way to quantify the depth of your feelings when someone is basically snatched away from the grips of death. Well, I'm walking out the courthouse and my mother's there, my ex-wife's there with my children, our good friends there. My kids are, are just thrilled to death. And they ask me, what's the first thing I want to do? I said, get some barbecue right away. So, Gary, since getting out, you've been doing some great work with Witness to Innocence, Kirk Bloodsworth and the whole crew, raising awareness. You're literally on a mission to abolish the death penalty. I would love to hear more about that. Okay, be glad to. Witness to Innocence is an anti-death penalty organization which came to me approximately five years after I was out. The group consists of people that have been exonerated from death row and their family members and support members. We go around the country speaking to anyone that will listen to us. We, we've got this panel called Accuracy and Justice. We speak to uh, prosecutors. We speak to judges. And we change a lot of minds. I mean, we've helped abolish. We haven't done it ourselves, but we've helped abolish the death penalty in about four states. How can people get involved? We have a website, witnesstoinnocence.org. That's witnesstoinnocence.org, a great organization, by the way. We have the link in the bio, along with links to the groups that help free Gary. Of course, I'm talking about the Equal Justice Initiative and the Southern Center for Human Rights. So just scroll down and get involved. And now we come to the part of our show called Closing Arguments, where I thank you both for sharing this remarkable story. And I'm just going to turn my mic off, kick back, close my eyes, and listen to anything you have left to say, anything on your mind at all, anything we left out. So we're going to save the best for last, of course, and no offense to the great Richard Jaffe, but <laughs> that means you, Gary. You're batting cleanup here, so to speak. So, Richard, the mic is yours. This case is the perfect example of every reason why the death penalty should be abolished, because everything that's wrong with it is present in this case. One, it was a lottery that Gary ended up with the legal team he ended up with for the second trial, in particular, the Southern Center for Human Rights, John Mays, Chris Adams. And, and secondly, Gary got a new trial because of prosecutorial misconduct. And then when his second trial begins, there was more prosecutorial misconduct. The case involved an investigation that was taking snitches' words for things without corroborating it and verifying it. It was truly a travesty that Gary was ever charged in the first place. So when you look at the death penalty and analyze it, this is the perfect example of why it simply doesn't work. It's arbitrary and it's capricious and it is snatching people that are good people out of society and wrongfully convicting them and subjecting them to losing their lives. Gary, over to you. When I got off 
out of prison, I knew I had to get a different vocation other than construction because I still had a hurt back and I went to college. I told the teachers what had happened, asked them could I get a job. They said yes. I signed up for respiratory therapy. I was doing good in class. I was doing great in clinicals. Six months before graduation, the hospital will hire you if you're doing good. Nurses wanted me because I could feel the patient's pain and they wouldn't hire me. They laughed when they seen that I'd been convicted of capital murder. They laughed, said no hospital in the country will hire you. That's still on my record. Witness to innocence, I saw what they were doing. I saw the potential in the organization and I said, definitely, I would love to be a member. And to me, this is one of the best, most powerful anti-death penalty organizations around. Before this COVID thing, I was traveling probably once a month out to speaking engagements. But now since this COVID thing is going on, I sit at home and hope somebody will call. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. Please support your local Innocence Projects and go to the link in our bio to see how you can help. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall, Jeff Clyburn, and Kevin Wardis. The music on the show, as always, is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number 1. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 